Welcome to the Energy Policy Podcast, a production of the Center for the New Energy Economy at Colorado State University. I'm your host, Jeff Ling. I'm your co-host, Tom Plant. And we're really, really excited about the guests that we have uh, on this podcast. Uh, We recorded uh, one sort of a, a primer for this about the solar decathlon uh, uh, which is coming to colorado this year which we're really excited about october the 5th through the 15th and i shared my experience as a former solar decathlete but uh, we have linda silverman on the phone she is the director of the department of energy solar decathlon program an award-winning design build competition that increases public awareness of renewable energy energy efficiency and innovative building design she is the person that is coordinating all of these teams and got the government agencies and the universities to really put this big program together. She's been with the DOE since 1988. Linda, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, the first thing that I remember learning as a solar decathlete was how to spell the word decathlon. Uh, it has only one A, of course, but uh, it, it's, uh, you know, I have to say it's the, been the sort of thing that so many people have asked me uh, when they see it on my resume, what's that? That sounds interesting. Is that a track meet? Uh, you should talk a little bit about what the competition is. Sure. So I don't know what you said in the promo, but um, so the Solar Decathlon is a DOE-supported competition where we challenge university teams to design and build these solar-powered, energy-efficient, innovative houses. Um, And the decathlon idea came in, um, you know, it's really we have 60 pages of rules that the teams have to abide by. And so it's really divided into 10 contests, hence the decathlon. We all know about the Olympics, right? So trying to uh, make a catchy catchy, uh, sound. but it's really, but we really um, are very um, thoughtful about which contests we put together. They're intentionally designed to be multidisciplinary, so that the student teams really get to mimic real-world um, circumstances. Um, and so the contests range from the obvious ones of architecture and engineering, but also market potential, so that each team has to design for a specific target market that they're interested in, um, communications, uh, health and comfort. And then we have um, new this year, of course, we have an energy contest. um, But new this year is we have an innovation contest and a water contest, which um, both are just so perfect for Colorado. Yeah. You know, I was going to ask you about that. If if the the things that you measure in, in, in each competition change, and it sounds like they do, so what was it that, um, that brought about the changes? What did you add and what, what did you take away and, and, and why did the DOE decide to do that? Right. Well, um, after each competition, and, and the competition has generally been held every two years. So, Jeff, I believe you were in the 2005 competition. Correct. Right. right. So things have changed a bit since then. So after each competition, um, we go back and look at... Um, reviews by the teams. Um, we look at market 
conditions and changing market conditions. And, you know, we kind of talk to DOE people. And then we modify the um, contest each year um, based on those um, three sets of data that comes in. So this year, um, after the Solar Castle in 2015, we really did get a lot of feedback from um, both the student teams um, and others that we really need to make it more more of an innovation contest, go back to the original um, contest where it was much more about innovation than about affordability, which was one of the 10 con contests um, in the last few solar decathlons. And then um, teams more and more have been really interested in the water issue. And so we um, did that one too. And so in the past we've had, um, so all houses must have a, an electric car that must be um, powered by the house. That used to be a separate competition, but in each case, teams tended to easily meet that. So we decided to roll that into um, the home life competition contest and then um, create to open up an innovation water contest. Affordability is still really important, but we now have um, put that under the market potential contest so that, you know, um, it's really about what who your target market is and are you pricing your house for that market. And so that will be um, an important uh, aspect for the, the jurors. I should just also quickly mention that, um, so there's 10 contests. This year, six of the contests will be judged by a panel of expert jurors um, who, you know, who are, in, who are familiar with the solar decathlon or they're experts in their field or whatever. Um, so, so six of the contests are, are judged by jurors, and then is it correct that the rest of the contests are, are it's all instrumentation, right? That these houses are, are right. wired to the hilt for any number of things like relative humidity, probably water use, certainly energy production and energy consumption, and that's really just sort of you're competing against one another from a, from a total standpoint or staying within a certain bounds, but the, but the it's interesting that more than half of the contest is is up to the jurors, right? You're convincing the jurors that it's affordable, that it's uh, market ready, that there's curb appeal, that that actual Americans might actually want to live in one of these things, and, and I also think, the level of innovation. Right, exactly, and and right. I, I really commend you and the and the DOE for for doing this. You know, I think the for so many of the decathletes that I know. Um, you know, there's this real sense of we're designing these state-of-the-art homes that are uh, that produce 2x, 3x, 4x of uh, their annual annual energy consumption, but yet the bulk of the new homes, you know, built in the Denver area, for example, are 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 built to code at minimum, uh, right? And so there's this massive disconnect from these homes that visitors will have the pleasure of seeing and touring, and you know, your average production home, not to really call any builder specifically, but the production home market, I think, has an awful lot to learn from what these students are going to be bringing to Denver. I would agree with you 100%. Um, now, there are a lot of um, what the students are working with are off-the-shelf technology in some cases. In some cases, you know, it's brand new innovation that either is coming into the market or they're using to test the market, or the university teams are, the universities are actually coming up with the technology themselves. Um, but the whole idea of the solar decathlon is really push the envelope on building science, on um, home building, 
and on inspiring the public to see and envision themselves in these kind of more innovative houses that are also have the very strong potential to save them a lot of money too. Do you think the it, it's interesting since since 2005 in my experience I would say that the tiny house movement has really you know come on in a very big way it was it was more of a niche sort of within architectural you know circles but I think more and more people are really interested in in tiny houses as a solution to a number of societal pro- problems including low income housing um, you know helping people get out of debt are you seeing is there a is there a pull from the tiny house movement here is that a big constituent of this competition I think there's definitely interest and in fact we're going to have um, a tiny house on display that's not going to be part of the competition but there will be one on display from SMUD um, and then me um, and I know in some cases you know for example Colorado School of Mines um, they have built a tiny house and they did it in a way to um, prepare themselves to be a future competitor in the solar decathlon. So a tiny house is just much smaller. It's, um, I, I would say people who are interested in sustainable housing are just interested in all of it. Right. Um, but right. we intentionally didn't want to make this a tiny house competition. Okay. So that's, we really that's, want houses that are, yeah, you know, we yeah. really want houses that are, that are that an average American could see themselves in. That there is also plenty of room to move around because we're really dealing with you know up to 100,000 visitors, and so we want there to be enough room to to circulate in the house. So, so a tiny house. We should we should maybe just draw that distinction. Might be what 200, 300 square feet. Uh, and these are these homes. Is it 800 square feet? Is the the maximum size? The maximum size now is a thousand square feet. One thousand. So they oh, tend okay. to be anywhere from 800 to 1,000 square feet, um, and the tiny, tiny homes houses are really under, I would say, 350 yeah. square feet. Yeah, so these are these are palatial in comparison, but yeah, that's that's really fascinating. Now we should say, you know, for the listeners, sort of close your eyes and picture an open field where there are no utilities, right? There's no power, there's no water, and these homes have to be set up by the student teams uh, in a location and and operate themselves uh, with very minimal uh, uh, resource inputs. Can you talk about what... Really, in, a, in about a, a period of a, about a, what, a week? Yeah, and there's... Is actually, it correct that th- actually, I have to, I have to um, correct you. It was like that when you were in it, Jeff, but um, now we do arc interconnected. The houses are interconnected. Um, XL Energy and Schneider Electric are involved. They create a microgrid for them. What's one of the new things this year under the energy contest is we're we're working with real time pricing. Um, so so the students have to grapple with um, the trade offs with when they run their dishwashers and stuff for the um, appliance contest and everything. But we have had um, elect- electrical grid interconnection um, for the last several competitions, but it wasn't like that when you were in it. So I understand why you. You're such. Like a, you're so old I'm school. So, so you're dated. an old guy. So Jeff. dated. I feel you know, like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so that's really interesting. So are you using um, you're using grid pricing? Does that go into uh, any of the of the competition in terms of scoring? If 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 a house can make themselves you know, not just not just uh, net positive, but uh, but cash positive as well. Right. Yes, I, I, they're given 
um, they're given value. We give them values. So it's not really based. It may be based off of the Excel, but we give them values, and then they um, have to work with energy estimation and um, and kind of figure out for themselves how they want to work that angle. Mm-hmm. So, because and, and this is in the energy contest, so it's really about how much you generate versus how much you use, and then remember that you also have to power up a, a vehicle. I'm sort of I'm sort of happy that I stumbled into that question because I I do think that there is a there's I have a, I know I have a relative coming into town and he said I want to go see all these off grid solar houses and and so there there may be a perception out there there certainly is in the solar industry and you know Tom and I work with states here at the Center for the New Energy Economy there's a certain amount of of consumers that say I I want to go off grid I just I'm I've had it with my utility company. And yeah, I think it's a really powerful message, and it's certainly something that that we would, um, you know, espouse here at the Center for the New Energy Economy that there are incredible benefits for grid-tied distributed generation, and and arbitrage may be one of those opportunities for it. But but offering ancillary services and and so forth, you know, from a societal perspective. We want people to stay on the grid. We want those distributed resources tied into the grid. So it's, uh, it, in many ways, much more of a evolved to be much more of a real-world application. Um, exactly. I understand. Exactly. There's, that was the whole intention. There's money on the line now. There, there are cash prizes for the top five houses. Can you talk about that? Right. Uh, yeah. For the first time, we're going to have a tiered cash prize um, system. So. Um, any team showing up this year will um, receive $100,000, but the uh, the top prize will be um, $300,000. Second place will get $225,000. Third place will get $150,000, and fourth place will get $125,000. Wow, that's so a it real is, motivator. Um, it is a bit of a different um, game this this year. Now, I know there's a, there's a lot of interest in what happens to these houses after the competition, right? There's a huge design effort. These homes are brought to the to the contest. And then, you know, what happens afterward? I think it's, in some cases, even the folks that put the homes together aren't quite sure who bought them or where, where they were sold to or whether the university still owns them. But you've done this great project of mapping the, the sort of permanent locations for, for past homes. And I wonder if you could talk a bit about that. Yeah, so we get so many questions that, and actually we personally have a, a big interest. In, we want to know what happens to the houses too. So that's been a big effort, and we've actually just updated our website. Um, and just so um, everyone should know, our website is probably the most complicated website that um, the Department of Energy has because we really do keep all of as much information from previous competitions on it as possible because um, it's also a resource for current teams to look back at old teams' designs, et cetera. But one of the things that we do is we have a section of our website under our history um, for each year, where are the houses now? And um, I have an intern every summer kind of go over and figure them out because there is movement. Um, the two, Actually, Jeff, you may remember the 2005 Mich- University of Michigan house mm-hmm. um, was actually um, was actually on the grounds of the University of Michigan until um, this past year it was sold to a, um, um, a homeowner. And so we've been following that development, and we have that on our website. It's fascinating to see where the houses go. So um, – 
Some of them, um, several of them are being used as um, student housing. So that would be Missouri S&T, um, who is um, in this, their seventh competition this wow. year. Wow, um, and, and they've created their own solar eco-village. Um, Middlebury has um, competed twice, and they also provide student housing. Some of them are used just for educational facilities. One is, for example, it's a living lab at a Frank Lloyd house in, um, I think it's in Ohio. Um, uh, that would be a great road trip, being, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, a right. solar decathlon road um, some trip. Are being, some are being used to house scientists or um, or park rangers. There's a park um, ranger who's living in a, the um, in one of the houses from Stanford in the in Jasper Ridge Biological Preserve. Um, there's a house at the McDonald Observatory in Texas. So they kind of are everywhere. Some houses are um, are being used for wounded warriors. Um, oh wow, that's uh, fascinating. There, there are two houses that are doing that. Um, there's one house that was an Airbnb. I don't think it is anymore, but it was at one point. Um, there's a Habitat for Humanity house. They're kind of all over the place. It's really, it's one of my favorite things to do is look back. And then the, this year's houses um, are also kind of intended to go all over the place. A lot of them um, are really going to be used as living labs or educational facilities. So, one of the interesting things about this is that it's not just a, a U.S. competition. It's, a, it's an international competition. And, of course, there must be a lot of uh, additional hurdles that, you know, um, other countries coming in, you know, bringing a house overseas and, <laughs> and then getting it to Colorado and setting it up. I imagine, no kidding. I imagine there's got to be some sort of an incentive that they're, they're going to want to unload that house in the United States so that they don't have to haul it all the way back. Do you know? Do you know if there's any sort of a plan by some of these houses that are coming over from overseas what they do with them afterwards? Yeah, I mean the ones that come from overseas tend to have a very um, a very specific um, place for the houses to go afterward. We have two international teams this year: one from the Netherlands and one from Switzerland. Uh, my understanding is that they will go back to their countries um, and serve as community centers, actually. Um, but you're right, it's a big deal. So they um, both had to finish their houses much earlier than the U.S. teams because they had to ship them, they have to get through customs. Um, so they, you know, they have to, they have to deal with all the customs issues and then they have to, you know, get them through customs and then they have to um, get them on a train and get them to the, wow. to Colorado. Um, so incredible. the transportation is definitely a big issue. There's also, I should mention on the international, there's five international um, solar decathlons that are now scheduled in 2018 and 2019. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And, and, and in some cases, there's U.S. Um, houses that will be in some of those. But there are a, there's a lot of international activity now. So in the next one that will happen in China in August of 2018, um, and then there's going to be a solar decathlon in the Middle East for the first time in Dubai. Um, there'll be a second solar decathlon Latin America and the Caribbean. Um, and then there's um, going to be the fourth solar decathlon Europe will be in 2019 in Hungary. 
and um, there will be a solar decathlon Africa, which will take place in Morocco in 2019. So there is a lot of activity. This has become kind of an international movement. Jeff, you are a part of what has become an international movement. <laughs> well, thank you. Don't, even even with my dated understanding of what it, what it is, <laughs> it's just so so incredible. I mean, it's really gone viral. You know, it, the, there's clearly a demand for this, right? And you know, one of the things that Tom talked about. Um, you know, a, 10 years ago, he was asking me, you know, what happens with the designs for these houses? You know, the house itself, that's interesting. But, you know, if you if you wanted to hire an architect and go out and build a house in, in Denver, Colorado or Silver Spring, Maryland, you'd have to, you know, you'd have to pay a lot of money to hire an architect to design one of these and engineer it. But are the plans available? Could a, could a member of the public, you know, go and grab the plans for the University of Michigan house and, and find a builder and say, I, I want to build this? Is that is that something a, a, a citizen could do? Um, I'm not sure how detailed the plans are if they're they're not necessarily architectural scale, but there are documents that we put on the website that anybody can look at um, and they could take it to an architect and show it to them. In some cases, some of the teams really do want to commercialize um, their plans um, and so they could be approached to do that. Uh, but certainly you can look at the design, you know, um, and then you have to adapt them to what state you live in and sure, yeah, all the local zoning codes. Issues. I mean, that's yeah. right and all that. Um, but they're all built to the, the latest international housing code. And so they all are really livable. Yeah. Is there is there some sort of a theme that uh, sort of characterizes the 2017 competition that that all the houses are trying to trying to attain that's specific to this year? Well, they all are really pushing the envelope of innovation because of the Mm -hmm. new contest. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're all pushing the envelope on water, whereas in the past, a lot of the houses had, you know, pretty innovative water features. It was really because the students were really interested. This time, they actually get credit for that. But what I'm noticing is, you know, we, um, in our... uh, let me think. In our home, let me let me just confirm which contest it's in. In our health and comfort comfort um, contest, we're um, pushing pushing the measuring on humidity control, on you know, on the temperature and on the air quality. And so I'm noticing a lot of houses this year are really focused on the air quality. A lot of them are using some type of green wall, either inside or outside, um, and they're very focused on air quality in, inside the house. A lot of them are, are are also using that to create like urban gardens or to grow food, so they're very focused on food sustainability as well as um, energy sustainability. That's Those are things that I'm noticing. And then some of them are really just dealing with, you know, Dealing with extreme weather events, um, a couple of them have one has a safe room in uh, Alabama has a safe room, and in fact their their house is called the Survival House, and it's really around um, responding to the tornado that they experienced in 2011 and making sure that the house is safe no matter what conditions you're in, and then it can be easily rebuilt. Um, some of them, uh, UC Davis is dealing with a drought. It's very focused on drought and um, 
and, and reusing water in the most efficient way possible. So those are the types of things that I'm noticing. They're really responding to where they live and how to create a house that would be attractive to where they're living or where the target market is. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Linda Silverman, I feel like we could talk to you for hours about this. And and some of our podcast listeners might even listen that long. But but I think from, we've, we've been talking to you now for going on 25 minutes. So we should... We should wrap it up with just the vitals. So if you give us the, the dates and the location and and uh, whether uh, it's free or if there's any registration needed to attend, let's just end with that. Okay, that's great. So everybody should come. It's October 5th to the 9th and October 12th to 15th. Those are the public, hour, uh, the public days. We would love as many visitors as possible. The houses are generally open from 11 to 7, um, uh, Thursday through Sunday of the first weekend, and then 1 to 7 on October 9th, which is Columbus Day or Indigenous Peoples Day, whichever one you prefer. Um, and then the second weekend, again, from Thursday to Friday, 11 to 7, it's completely free. We're going to have a sustainability expo. There's a lot of consumer workshops that people can come to. Um, there's even a career fair on October 10th. So please visit www.solardecathlon.gov um, and check it out. We also need about a thousand um, volunteers. So if you're interested in volunteering, go to that website, solardecathlon.gov, and just hit the volunteer um, um, bar. Great. And if you can't for some reason come, we're going to have the ability to virtually visit us and see all the tours and the time lapse photography and everything. Oh, fantastic. And is this, it, I know it's out by uh, Denver International Airport. Is it accessible by the train? Yes, it's on that A line, the University of Colorado A line, okay. the RTD. Please come. Jeff, I hope to meet you when I'm there. And um, I'm so excited to be in Colorado. It's a great, um, it's just great. And thanks so much for having me on this podcast. Well, Denver very much looks forward to, to having you. And, and folks, you can fly right into DIA and get on the train and not even have to come to, into Denver uh, to attend this decathlon. Um, right, it's Linda, five minutes away. <laughs> yes, so close. Thank you so much, uh, Linda. It's wonderful to have you. And good luck with the competition and good luck to all the teams out there. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Energy Policy Podcast, a production of the Center for the New Energy Economy at Colorado State University. I'm your host, Jeff Ling. I'm your co-host, Tom Plant. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.